Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 35,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been living with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh. feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another episode of the Words and Nerds podcast. Danny V here, and I'm super excited to welcome Mary Rose Cuskelly. Mary Rose is a writer of fiction and nonfiction. Her book, Wedderburn, A True Tale of Blood and Dust, was longlisted for Best Debut and Best True Crime in the 2019 Davit Awards. She is also the author of Original Skin, Exploring the Marvels of the Human Hide, and The End of Charity, Time for Social Enterprise, which was the winner of the Iamunga Award. Welcome to the podcast, Mary Rose. Thank you, Danny. Thank you very much. Very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. And we're going to talk today about the book, The Cane. And, you know, the tagline at the front is one missing girl, no suspects, a town about to ignite. Can you give me an elevator pitch as to what The Cane (laughs) is about? Okay, so The Cane opens four weeks after the disappearance of a teenage girl, in a in a sugar growing region of Queensland and it's the 1970s so the tumultuous times all the cultural and social change that was happening plays into the distrust and suspicion swirling about the community and there's also a disappearance of another girl 10 years earlier is that connected Mm -hmm. and that's what you find out Wonderful. Now, I believe that the disappearance of a real-life person, Marilyn Walkman, in 1972 was something that made a lasting impression on you. Tell me about this experience and how it may have inspired you to write some of this book. Yeah. Yeah, so Marilyn Walkman, she went missing in 1972 at Imeo near Mackay, and that's a a cane growing area and she was the daughter of cane farmers and she disappeared while she was riding her bike down a road uh, a track really between two cane fields to the main road to catch the bus into town and she disappeared virtually without a trace and her younger brothers who were coming along after her to go to the local primary school they found her bicycle lying on its side you know, the front wheel still spinning and Marilyn was nowhere to be seen. And it wasn't, so they never found Marilyn, they never found out what happened to her. She just disappeared kind of off the face of the wow. earth. And it wasn't until, anyway, and a couple of years later, they did find a piece of bone that uh, was a piece of skull about two, about two years later and kind of about 40 kilometres away. But it wasn't until 2015 that they were finally able to extract mitochondrial DNA that matched that piece of bone to Marilyn's mother. So the family didn't actually have a a funeral for her until 2015. And I've become interested in writing about the story before that just because um, I grew up in Queensland, but I grew up in the southeast corner of the state, you know, quite a long way from Aimeo and Mackay. 
but I was, you know, I was a country kid too. I was, you know, walking along deserted roads to school. And so there was just a bit of a, I guess all over the state, there was this um, heightened awareness of potential danger. And and there'd also been um, a murder of an abduction and murder of two little girls in Townsville mm. two years earlier. Awful. And so, and these things, and just over the years, these two events had kind of melded in my mind and it wasn't until about 2014 when I started seriously thinking about writing something about it that I kind of went back to the newspapers of the time and was kind of finally able to disentangle the strands of those two events. And I think partly because just those images around Marilyn's disappearance are so kind of filmic almost and because over the years that tragedy for the Wallman family has kind of become a it's kind of a core event in the um in the town of Mackay like there's kind of before Marilyn Wallman and after Marilyn Wallman and um so I wrote an essay about Marilyn's disappearance for the um the Thunderbolt award and I won that and then I was thinking about writing something like a full-length work but I kind of came around to the idea that some of the things that I wanted to talk about I could better do in fiction mm-hmm. and uh, so that's where the germ of the cane came from. Mm, interesting. So the research sort of came from the essay? Yeah, I'd done a lot. Yeah, I'd done a lot of mm-hmm. research already and I did a bit more once I decided to go down the fiction route just because it, um, you know, I kind of had to recreate mm-hmm. the 70s. So that must have been um, fun, actually. Okay, it was fun. Like <laughs> I spent a lot of time in the State Library in Victoria, in in Melbourne, just you know. Oh, how terrible to... for you! That place oh, is beautiful. Shocking, shocking. <laughs> and um, and some of the things that really helped me kind of go back to that time were just like the um, advertisements for clothing, um, and also what people ate. Mm. So you know, there are all those columns about you know what to cook oh, for dinner and yes, tell me, like give me some things that they cook. Oh, look, <laughs> what's I the what's I... the mashed potato rolled in the ham? Pig in a blanket? Is that a thing? Yeah, well, that wasn't part of my seventies. <laughs> it was more like um, um, you know, devils on horseback Ooh, okay. and you know, fondue and Ooh, like cheese fondue. Pork. Yeah, yeah, and lots of like pineapple oh. and um. They're having a good time in the 70s, lots of pineapple. Yeah, like, you know, lots of apricot chicken, Uh um, Mornay of all things. Um, So it just really took me back to that. Love that. To that time. And lots Mm. of, you know, coconut slice and things like that. (laughs) I love that. They're going to talk about us now in, in, you know, 50 years and say, oh, they're eating like kale. What was wrong with them? And (laughs) chia seeds. I know. I know. They could have been eating apricot chicken. Bring back the sweet and sour pork. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and when I say sweet and sour pork, it was a very, you know, Anglo version. Yes, Still, you know, but still, you know, it was, um, yeah. I love it. I love that. I love that. Yeah, and of course back then too, like the Chinese restaurant was like in any small country town you went to, there was a Chinese restaurant mm. as well. So people were a bit familiar, you know, you know, with things like chicken chow mein and beef and black bean sauce and sweet and sour pork. So, yeah. yeah. I love all the meals of my childhood. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting back to the book, 
when you said you needed to sort of turn it into fiction, was that something you needed to do to get into the character's head, to find some empathy, to really create a voice for those characters? Was that was that was what it was important to you and led you down the fiction way? Yeah, I, th- I think so. And there was also something about childhood that I wanted to um, inhabit and kind of talk about because um, in the book, Essie is a, an 11-year-old girl who's, for you, her and her younger sister, you know, used to be babysat by Janet who's disappeared. And so there was something about getting back into that, um, the state of being a child and that kind of that pivot point where Essie is at where she's she's still a child but she's almost an adolescent and just that was through just doing that through fiction and not um and and being able to just use some of my own memories of what it felt like to be Mm. a kid at that age when those kinds of things are swirling around and there's that um desire to know more but also a little bit frightened of what you might find out Mm. And also probably thinking you know more than you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and something about that, you know, childhood, someone asked me the other day something about, you know, kids losing their innocence or, you know, an event like that, stealing a child's innocence. And I was like, I don't kind of think about child, well, I don't think about my childhood as being kind of particularly innocent in that, you know, childhood is a pretty rough and tumble world, I reckon, yeah. particularly older childhood and you know there's lots of kind of challenges flung at you from you know your peer group and just from being in the world and it's quite a you know it's I I feel like it's quite a tumultuous yeah I think you're right I think it does have that element to it I mean there's a lot of play and I guess there's innocence in terms of you know you haven't experienced a lot of the world but there's a lot going on you know learning learning I'd hate to say the rules but you know the rules of society and learning how you meant to interact with your peers I mean I think it can be quite a tumultuous time particularly you know schools can be tough places yeah they can (laughs) they can be really tough places Mm. and there is that kind of you know, there's childhood is almost like, I don't know, it's like a separate cast in some ways. And there are things that happen within childhood that you don't, you know, you don't tell your parents about. Like I was just having a conversation because I've got um, adult children now. I was just saying, so is this stuff that happened in your childhood? Oh, this is great. That you that you didn't tell me. And I said, look, I don't, I don't want you to tell me now either, but just, and they were like, oh, yeah. Like, I was <laughs> And then it's like, okay, now tell me, I need to know. I shouldn't have prefaced that, but anyway, but just, yeah, so I just, and I don't know, there's, especially, you know, I went to school, was in primary school, it's a very small school, and so in the playground there's kids of all ages, like you're not just in with your other grade threes or whatever, you know, there's kids, and so that kind of, the older kids were kind of like a, you know, they were the dominant force and they could be cruel and they could be mean and you know they could hurt you and (laughs) you know and they would and and they just and you know they knew more things about oh you know sex and cigarettes and (laughs) (laughs) so it was kind of like yeah so um Mm. I wanted to explore a bit of that 
Yeah, and I remember when I was, you know, in year seven or eight thinking how grown up these people were in year 12. And now you look at, you know, 17 year olds and they look so young as you get older. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? I know, yeah. Like, yeah, when you're that, when you're young, like a 17 year old is like, oh, she's wow. adult. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Can't yeah. wait till I'm 17 until you're 17. Like, oh, this is hard. <laughs> yeah. This is hard being 17. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the cane is described as rural noir. What makes this genre special to you? Well, uh, when I, well, you know, Mike Brandy called it that to be oh, fair. But I, I was <laughs> going to say that. Okay, let's just get back. Let's just rewind a little bit. I was going to say, imagine having Mark Brandy say on the front of your book, a stunning piece of Australian rural noir. I mean, does it get any better than that? I mean, we know Mark is a brilliant writer and a lovely human. Absolutely. Get any better than that? How, does it, how did it feel? Felt pretty good. And, and it actually did make me, I was like, oh, yeah, that's what it is. It's rural noir. Thank <laughs> you, Mark. <laughs> Look, because when I first started writing about it and I kind of, I wasn't thinking of it as fitting into the crime genre, really. Okay. That's interesting. Um, and, like, I knew, obviously, there was a crime, but I was kind of thinking of it, I guess, in that tradition of, you know, there's that trope in Australian art and literature of the lost child, you know, mm -hmm. going back to, you know, Frederick McCubbin's painting of the girl lost, you know, lost and that sort of thing, and, you know, even, you know, Picnic and Hanging Rock. And so for me, there was something kind of gothic about it and, um, you know, I think in those first kind of um, drafts, Essie and her kind of story was much more, um, you know, for, it was much more forward in the narrative. And it wasn't until, you know, I was talking about when I handed in the manuscript to my publisher and my, um, and the editor got hold of it and they were both like, you know, it's crime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's not, it's coming of age. They're like, no, no, it's crime. So I just, just knuckle down and, you know, make it crime. I love that. <laughs> You have just written a crime novel. No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and of course, when they give me the cover and, they go, and they're like, we told you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no getting away from the cover. Yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. little red, orangey sky, the cane fields and, you know, it's it's a, actually a really beautiful cover. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of, by that stage, I kind of knew what was coming. <laughs> You'd given <laughs> into it. Yeah, that's right. So so I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with that description of Marx of Australian rural noir mm. because for me I suppose there is something about you know the landscape and that kind of the the menace that's in the landscape yeah. and in, in this you know in this instant it's a it's a you know it's a man-made landscape and I suppose that is something that I would so you know I would associate with Mm. rural noir I guess yeah for sure and I think with crime fiction the beauty of crime fiction is that there's so many sub-genres of this genre you know you've got psychological thriller and you've got thriller and you've got crime and then you've got the missing person and the mystery like it goes on and on and on so yeah I think that's the magic of crime fiction that within that genre there are so many different types that you can dip in and out of so yeah. I think that's why it resonates with people and you're saying that you know, you, at first you sort of went into it thinking you're writing probably a mystery or something like that, you know, The Lost Child. And these stories resonate with people, as does crime, as we know crime fiction is huge right now. It always has been, really. Why do you think those type of genres really resonate with readers? 
Look, I don't know exactly. I mean, I think there's, I mean, I think obviously rural, particularly within Australia, you know, rural crime stories play into, you know, that kind of long-held but largely false notion of ourselves as a, you know, as a, as, an, as a nation built around the outback and the bush when, you know, we all live around the coast and in big cities, most of us. <laughs> but it still allows people to connect with that kind of notion of, of, of what Australia is or was. Um, and, but really, <laughs> I, I, I don't really know. Um, I think... I think there is something too about landscape and Australia and, you know, that being able to use the landscape as a kind of a character, whether it's because of its, you know, of its wildness or its beauty or its remoteness or, you know, um, the, 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 the danger of it. So mm. perhaps that's got something to do with it. Yeah, I think so too. I think there's a lot of magic in, you know, that rural noir because, like you said, most of us live on the coast or in the cities or in the suburbs. So there's that mystery to it. You know, yeah. we think we know what it's like and a lot of it's very beautiful or very desolate, but there's also that element of danger there too where anything could happen and it's an unfamiliar landscape to us. Yeah. Even though we live in Australia, we generally don't, you know, many of us don't live in those rural places. That's right. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Mm. And well, I think just you and I think in rural, like in these rural crime as well, or, you know, there is, I don't know, there's an inherent uh kind of dread built into it yeah. within the story because it's a small community so it's always going to be you know it's going to be someone we know yeah and I think there's you know that just immediately you've got like a, a tension within yeah this. absolutely and those small communities too they I think they have a much greater dynamic than you know a thousand people in the city who've never met each other <laughs> there's more yeah. to lose in a small in a small town because everyone has relationships with everyone yeah, yeah. And there are certainly different, you know, there are certainly, you know, there are hierarchies and there are mm. cliques and there are unwritten rules and there are, you know, secrets that some people hold and, you know, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. I wanted to ask you, you know, because it was inspired by real life events, was it hard to write something inspired by real events? Because I imagine you want to, you know, provide, I guess, you know, that sort of justice or empathy for the victim in the story. Yeah, um, I certainly did want to, I wanted, you know, the the whole of Janet's disappearance to be something that was felt in the book mm -hmm. and, and that sense of kind of grief and dread and loss. I really wanted that to be um, reflected in the characters and the effect that it has on the community. And I think kind of that the effect of that disappearance, you know, I was kind of more interested in that and how it impacted on the children, on, you know, Janet's friends and boyfriends, on the adults, you know, on the teachers, that sort of thing. I wanted that to be, that was kind of more interesting to me than kind of solving the, you know. Yeah solving what happens to yeah. you know what has happened to janet so and i guess i suppose i wanted you know that um you know that grief that her parents feel that that's kind of accorded i don't know just kind of some kind of honor i suppose or yeah. dignity or something like that yeah 
So that mm. was, yeah, it was that was it was an important part. Yeah, and it. quite a responsibility, I imagine, in some ways. Yes, yes, and I think, and and as I wrote it to it, the story became further and further removed from mm. the yeah. story of of yeah. Marilyn Woman. Like, it's not her story. It's not yeah. her family story. It's a similar crime and a similar landscape, but that's kind of where where it ends. Yeah. yeah. And I'm interested in your writing process because particularly you didn't think it was going to be crime when you started out. And, you know, I think sometimes crime has quite a specific, you know, way of writing. You need to have your your little hooks and your mysteries and your whodunits and your, your red herrings and all those kinds of things. And the timing mm. and pace of crime is really important because you don't want to find out who done it too quickly. You know, yeah. There's going to be a point in the book where it's okay to for the reader to guess so what was your writing process because I love how this book sort of just fell into that genre but I want to know what your writing process was um look a lot of it as I said I gave it to my you know my publisher and and she gave it to um Louise Thurtell who's a really fantastic editor and Louise just gave me this very comprehensive um you know editorial report on it and it was very kind of, was very practical and it was very specific and it was very like, you know, you should, these are the kind of the things that you need to do. Oh, I love that. I know. It was like, it was it was kind of in equal parts terrifying mm, and yeah. kind of, you know, and but also like, oh, yes, this is, I can do this. You know, I can I can see what I need to do and, it wasn't quite a blueprint, but it was like, oh, yeah. And, and she'd also just made these connections for me in terms of the plot. And I was like, oh, of course it's obvious. I should have. <laughs> it was probably there, but, you know, writing, what, 80,000, 90,000 words, it's, it's a lot. So sometimes yeah. I think it might take someone outside of that story to then, you know, make those final connections, which were probably there for you, but it's a lot to take in and then be able to be objective about your yeah. work, I think. Yeah. So she was very um, adamant that kind of the plot had to be much more kind of propulsive Mm -hmm. you know and um so that was so she really and because I hadn't this was my first full length of fiction and I think part of the reason why I was kind of like no it's not crime fiction because those very things that you said (laughs) that like you know hooks and twists and turns and like I don't you know I just I don't I don't know that I can do that um and I think that so it was a bit of (laughs) well clearly you do know how to do that (laughs) Well, now I do, <laughs> but like I, was, I just didn't want people to pick up like that the book with that cover, and then go, oh, hang on, this is crime fiction. This is I don't know what it is, but um, but just so Louise kind of schooled me, you know, firmly but fairly, gently. I love that. Like this is the way, mm-hmm. and so it was such. Right. Um, yeah, it was just she was fantastic, and the books, you know, obviously much better having had her input. So. So that was, yeah, and she just, and though, you know, so she was just very, she was able to do that, but at the same time, you know, say to me, I really love it, you know, I love the style, I think that's great, we need to keep those elements, but just do this and this and this and you're, it'll, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes you need that because it's hard to step away from your own work. You know, even when you leave your piece of work for a month and you go back, you're able to see it in a much different way than if you just keep writing it every day. You know, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, you need yeah. a brain break from it. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, that, so yeah. So her. I love editor, that process. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's really great. Uh, now, the question I ask all my guests because I always get really interesting questions, but it's a tricky one. So, Mary Rose, why do you write? <laughs> 
Um, well, when I was a younger person, I wanted to be an actor and, um, you know, so I was, you know, well, at least trying to be an actor for a long time. And then, and I just wasn't, you know, it just was not my career as an actor didn't really <laughs> take off very well. And so I had to give, you know, so I gave it up, but it was just like it, it really tore something out of me. It just, and I just needed to be able to still think of myself as a creative person. Mm. And so after a while, a few years, you know, of doing a Bachelor of Arts and doing various things, and I kind of fell into the um, RMIT course of professional writing and editing. And I thought, look, I'll be an editor and that's fine. And then I just, um, but then I did a, you know, a nonfiction subject and the project I started there became um, Original Skin. And that kind of just really hooked me into writing and um, even though I completed all my editing subjects and I worked as an editor, uh, mainly freelance for a while, you know, I really began to love writing and, you know, began to, and I thought I was a better writer than I was an editor as well. But um, so I think it's just I just needed uh, to be able to continue to think of myself as a creative person. And I'm not quite sure why I needed to think of myself as a creative person, I suppose, because, um, you know, because I'd spent quite a lot of my you know, youth, you know, wanting to be an actor and doing all these terrible other jobs and be, to keep trying <laughs> to be an actor, I didn't really have that career success in a career as such and so I think that's why I needed to to be creative in, a, in another way mm. and I think to. when you're a creative person and whether it's you're into film or poetry or writing or art or whatever I just don't think that ever goes away inside you and so you have to have that creative outlet no matter what it is and I think yeah. you can move between you know there are a lot of authors out there who you know have been into film or television or other things like that and I think it's just that creative brain needing to do something creative and I'm not sure it matters exactly what it is yeah as long as you're getting that you know creative outlet most yeah. days I think mm. well actually one of my favorite books is um Patty Smith's uh Just Kids and one of the things I just loved about it was the way she talked about her and Robert Maplethorpe like they were artists kind of almost before they made art, you know, and like they just did, you know, they wrote poetry and they taught themselves to paint or draw or make things. And it was kind of like, yeah, it didn't matter what they did. First and foremost, they were artists. And I just mm, kind of, I love that. So it's like the, the creatives amongst you. As long as you're doing something creative, yeah. um, it sort of feeds your soul. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that's wonderful well Mary Rose I'm so happy that I got to speak to you about the book it's a wonderful book I'm a big fan of crime so I'm so glad it's in the crime genre <laughs> <laughs> thank you Danny so am I <laughs> it's been really nice to read it and then talk to you about it and get some insights you know particularly to the writing process and I love how you know I love just those little insights of when you pick up a book and you think oh this was you know crime from the beginning I mean take a look at the cover and then you get these beautiful little insights that you don't get when you don't speak to the author about how the, the book was created and I think everyone really appreciates you know the honesty and the challenges that come with that so thank you so much for the chat thanks Danny thanks very much the Words and Nerds Universe content is created by many talented people. We have the usual episodes and live streams hosted by me, Danny V. 
There are three regular spin-offs, the popular Burgers, Beers and Books, hosted by Ben Hobson, the regular Takeover, hosted by Nathan J. Phillips, and a different page, hosted by Josie Layton. Check the Words and Nerds website for more details. We also have Takeover episodes where an author interviews another author and they take the conversation wherever they like. Throughout the year, we also have short spin-offs like the Summer Series Takeover, the NaNoWriMo Series and the Publishing Insider Series. You can find all of these episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll also find us on social media on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, Danny B Books, Words and Nerds Podcast. Stay safe and read more books.